Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Well, good morning, church. And it's good to see everyone's faces there over Zoom yet again, all looking like we're alive and well. And so we're going to get into the word of God and feed. Amen. Uh, feed on his word this morning and be blessed and edified throughout uh, uh, the, uh, the, the revelation and teaching of his word. And so... Uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to preach um, a, we're looking at the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And so we've been looking at each of those individually um, throughout this particular series. And so last time you will recall, we looked at the words, the simple words, I thirst. And so we looked at the various aspects that were associated with this uh, prophetically and it's some of its applications. But um, since the, I preached that message, I was in some discussions with a precious brother. You may, um, you, you'll probably, as I preach the sermon, identify who it was, but um, he just did just some actually simple thoughts just over a short, very short email, but triggered my mind and uh, basically got my mind thinking. And for a number of days, my mind was consumed with some of these thoughts and uh, began to study them further. And uh, in the end, I thought to myself, it is necessary for me to preach and teach this morning uh, the second part um, to this particular phrase, I thirst, that we find in the scriptures, because there's so much more that is associated. There's so much more that lies behind those words, I thirst. And so not to cover these aspects would do the scripture an injustice. So it is imperative that we consider this further and just take the time to work through those particular words and what Jesus was referring to, because the depth of revelation in the Bible that surrounds this is just fascinating. And uh, I think if we can uh, see it, understand it, God help us to uh, grasp it, then we will understand even more clearly why Jesus said this morning, the words, I thirst. And so we know that the Old Testament, it's not just a, an old book, but rather it is filled. The Old Testament is filled with uh, shadows and types that all point to Christ Jesus and his ultimate uh, purpose. And so the more we read as Christians, the Old Testament, the more that our eyes are open to these realities, these shadows and these types that all point to Christ, we begin to see that Christ is all over the pages of the Old Testament. And when we take all those types and shadows, we're able to take them and apply them to various statements, doctrines and teachings that are made in the New Testament. And so this, obviously, this is one of them that we're going to continue to consider this morning. And may God bless us as we go through it. So I'm going to be mentioning a few scriptures, going through, through scriptures. And so it's important that you obviously go through them with me. 
but I want to look at the words I first and discover some of the great spiritual realities that, that lie behind this particular statement because we know that uh, the words I first uh, and the physical aspect is only about this much associated with what Jesus meant when he was said I thirst. In actual fact, he didn't even have his own thirst in mind physically. It was something far more important than deeper as we will see this morning so let's read from the gospel of john again chapter 19 and we're going to read verse 28 and this time we're going to read as well verse 29 we didn't read that last time we just read verse 28 um so let's uh, uh, ask the lord's blessing this morning father as we're about to read your word my God, I pray that you would anoint this message. God, I pray that your spirit would quicken the truths that are associated with this, Lord, into our hearts and that our spirits would be fed and edified, O oh Lord God, and we would see by way of revelation that comes forth from your spirit. Teach us your ways, Lord, and let us see into things eternal. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's read verse 28. Now it says, after this... Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Amen. Now, we have made the point, but I just want to reiterate as the backdrop, just to refresh our minds this morning, that when we talked about these words, I thirst, remember they, they are following on directly from the, during the time of Christ's crucifixion, what was a six hour period. And remember at midday, it went dark, darkness covered the whole earth. And so for three hours in the middle of the day, it was pitch black. And so we looked at that aspect as those words were spoken, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus spoke those words and we, we considered what the doctrine of penal, substitu uh, penal substitution, where Christ bore our punishment for sin, that where sin was uh, uh, put upon Christ as he hung on that cross. And so we, where the scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so our sins were put on Christ in that time, during that period in the crucifixion of Christ. And so it is important to note that because directly following that, we have the words, I thirst. Now, it wasn't you know, obviously in relation to the scriptures being fulfilled and the prophecy of Psalm 69, as we've looked at, but with this backdrop, it is important because what more can we see and discover about the words I thirst? Because what I want to say to us this morning is Christ is expressing, as we've said, he is expressing the consequence of his father's wrath that is upon him. Now, just think about that. Remember that statement. Christ is expressing the consequence of his father's wrath that is upon him during that three-hour period of darkness when he made those statements and him bearing the wrath of God in, in himself and paying the price for our sins. Now, scripture tells us in Psalm, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 43, 
uh, 53, uh, a script, uh, a, te- a chapter that we're very familiar with. Uh, and the Bible explicitly there in that chapter talks about the various physical sufferings that Christ would endure as part of his sufferings and, and his crucifixion at Calvary. But in, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, the Bible says these words. Uh, it says that when he, he made his soul an offering for sin. And so not only was there obviously the physical aspects of the crucifixion, but that word soul represents his breath. We're talking about his life, the very essence of his being, that which is spiritual this morning that is encompassed in that. So when Christ was offered for sin, his soul was offered, not just his body, which was broken, but also he gave his life. Uh, And this is where we identify the spiritual components and aspects that are associated with the words, I thirst. So what I'm saying this morning is that we need to understand what's going on behind the, uh, behind the scenes. This is a look behind the scenes this morning at what's going on during the crucifixion in relation to Christ and his, his, his offering and the Father's offering for sin. Because the Bible says that God was in Christ and that he was reconciling the world to himself through him. And so, you know, the analogy, isn't it interesting that uh, when Abraham, who is a type of, of the father, and he went forth up to Mount Moriah, to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, the Bible says they went up together. God was in Christ. And so we have this aspect of the two in coming together and they are up there, Mount Moriah. This is Calvary as we know it. Uh, And um, this whole thing of Abraham and Isaac is representative of the father and the son. And ultimately Isaac uh, uh, being substituted, but is a sign and a symbol of Christ being offered upon the cross. Now there are other aspects in scripture that we're going to touch upon like and we're going to i mention it now but we'll go back to it later but take for example um in genesis after sin had entered the world and uh, adam and eve were removed from the garden the bible says that god put um a flaming sword at the entrance of the garden and so that flaming sword uh hindered anybody uh from uh, accessing the tree of life And so obviously if anyone was to touch or try and access it, that flaming sword would kill them. And so we'll look at more about that in a moment. But again, I'm just painting a backdrop. I'm alluding to the shadows and types in the Old Testament that give us a or paint us a picture of what is going on at this point as Jesus is hanging on that cross. And as he says those words, I thirst. Now, let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, or actually chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Paul the Apostle, he obviously understands all of these things that we're going to look at this morning. And he makes a statement there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And he, he says these words, he says uh, an, uh, that Christ was made an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Okay, so that statement captures, in principle, the overall, the overarching aspect of Christ's sacrifice. He was an offering and a sacrifice and a sweet-smelling aroma 
that was uh, speaks of being acceptable to God the Father. Now, Paul the Apostle, he, in stating this and saying this, he's drawing upon Old Testament types and shadows, as we know, and he's drawing upon the offerings that are outlined in the Old Testament in the scriptures. And these are explicitly dealt with in the book of Exodus. They're dealt with in the book of Leviticus. And they're also dealt with in the book of Numbers, where we have uh, um, the, the, uh, an outline of the offerings themselves and how they were to be offered, when they were to be offered, uh, associated with all these different uh, texts. And we know some of those uh, uh, offerings. For example, in Leviticus chapter 1, which you can go there if you will, because we're going to go in, into that in a moment. But in Leviticus chapter 1, we have the burnt offering. In chapter 2, we have the grain offering. And, and we have the sin offering. We have the drink offering that uh, we find in Scripture as well. And when we look at all of these offerings that are at, outlined in the Scripture, every one of them is a shadow of Christ. Every one of them represents Christ and some aspect of his, uh, of his sacrificial death and what it has accomplished. And that's why it's not just, you know, when you're a young Christian, you read over these things and it's like laborious. Could you remember reading Leviticus for the first time? It's like, why is that book even there? But yet when you begin to understand it from the depths that is contained in, these, in this word, you begin to see it completely and it becomes alive as, as every word of God is God breathed this morning. So Jesus is all of these offerings that are outlined in the book of Leviticus. And so in Leviticus chapter one, we have the first offering that is, uh, is introduced and spoken of, and it is um, uh, the burnt offering, the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter one. Now, if you were to look at this chapter, God deals with the various three aspects of that particular offering, whether it be a bull, a sheep, a goat, or even a bird. But he goes through those uh, aspects of a burnt offering and he says how it's to be killed and what is to be done with that particular offering. And so the burnt offering, obviously, after it was killed, the blood was to be sprinkled all around the altar and the body was to be burnt on the altar itself. And so that is obviously uh, the burnt sacrifice. And in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, it says uh, these words, but uh, it says, but the priest, he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all the whole burnt offering on the altar as a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire, uh, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now think about that and just mark those words because it, it is the, that offering is to be burnt. It's a burnt sacrifice. It's an offering that's made by fire and it is a sweet smelling aroma to God. And so Jesus is that burnt offering. He is the one, amen, that was offered uh, for our sins. And so, uh, and having been sacrificed on Calvary, this is all representative of Christ. Now, let me draw your attention into Leviticus chapter two, because this deals with what is referred to as the grain offering. 
And so this is an interesting offering that's made up of flour, oil and frankincense that is mixed together. And again, this too was to be burnt in the fire. In verse 2 of chapter 2, the Bible says, He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and one of them, uh, and one, uh, one of whom shall take from it a handful of fine flour with oil and all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so again, now what you must understand about the grain offering, yes, in its entirety, it, it is representative of Christ, but it is representative of Christ in his humanity. Remember, if you were to look at the grain offering and read on, you'll see that, that, that it was made of flour and no leaven was to be put into that flour because we know in scripture that leaven is a sign of sin and Christ was perfect. And in his, in his humanity, he was without sin. And so he was the grain offering in that he gave his body on Calvary and he gave himself there. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us. And so there you have it. Christ is the grain offering this morning. And note the words again, where it says it on the, as they, it is burnt, it is burnt on the altar. And uh, it is uh, an offering made by fire, and it's a sweet aroma to God. Now, as you read this, you think, gosh, you know, what could make a bloodied sacrifice like this <coughs> so pleasing to God? Well, I'm sure you can probably begin to identify the answer. But we have these aspects in the scripture. Now, I want to draw your attention to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 28 and 29, because in these particular, in these particular chapters, what you have is you have um, uh, the daily offerings and uh, the offerings that are also that relate to the feasts of Israel uh, or the, being God's face, as we know, but nevertheless, they, there's guidelines surrounding how it's done and when it's done. And it talks about the daily offerings in Numbers chapter 28. There's various guidelines. Now notice uh, in, in chap, Numbers chapter 28, verse number seven and verse number eight, listen to what it says. This is God laying out the daily offerings that were to be made morning and evening every day in relation to the tabernacle. And uh, uh, the priests were to offer these morning and evening or twilight. Let's read verse seven and verse eight. Now there's a reference to what we call the drink offering. And uh, it says this, and it's drink offering. This is to be presented with the burnt offering and with the grain offering. And it's drink offering shall be one fourth of a hin for each lamb in a holy place, you shall pour out the drink offering to the Lord as an offering. And the other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, again, this is uh, referred to in the book of Exodus chapter 29, the drink offering. But what is important is we're dealing with the, the various offerings that were daily made by the priest and they were inseparable. It was a burnt offering together with a grain offering together with a drink offering. 
And so the drink offering was poured on the altar at the completion of offering the burnt offering and the grain offering, which again, we pointed already, these things are symbolic of Christ. And so the, the issue of pouring the drink offering upon the altar as a, uh, was uh, represented a finished and a complete work because the Bible says it was a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. So this is important because the offering, the drink offering was poured out on the altar. And when you would pour that out, it would create the smoke and it would create the sweet smelling aroma that God would smell. But what is interesting is what was the drink offering made of? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus chapter 29. Now in chapter 29 in Exodus, Verse 38, <clears throat> the Bible says these words. This is concerning the daily offerings as we just looked at in Numbers 28. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an FF of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth, now that's the, the grain offering, and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. So what was the drink offering? Wine. And so this is what it was made up of, wine. Now again, what is wine representative of in the scriptures? Well, it can be related to a couple of things in terms, obviously, the wine representing his blood, but before we consider that aspect, what else is wine known as in Scripture? The wine of the wrath of God. The wine press uh, uh, that, that has been uh, pressed and, uh, and is mixed and is ready to be poured out, the wrath of God. So again, when we see Jesus speak the words, I thirst, he is partaking. What was it that they put? Uh, they, put they gave to him vinegar or sour wine. And that was what he partook of. And again, this is all related and associated because Jesus is the burnt offering. He is the grain offering in his humanity and he is the drink offering as we know. And he's just bore the wrath of God. And then he says the words, I thirst. And so this is also significant this morning. Jesus poured out his life. So that's what the drink offering is symbolic of. He poured out his life in, as a sacrifice in suffering and in service. And the Bible says it was a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. You see, the, the, the drink offering this morning is a metaphor for the body and the blood of, of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. It speaks of his sacrifice. And, and uh, we see this. Uh, drawn by Paul the Apostle himself in various aspects in the New Testament. You remember Romans 12, Bible says concerning us that we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice in relation to the burnt offering. And so too, I have been crucified with Christ. And so we can see that these applications, uh, not just first, in, in first and foremost, they have their application in Christ, but they also find their expression in us as well. And now in our life to God, we are to live a sacrificial life. And this was what Paul, the apostle himself understood. And in two instances in his epistles, he makes reference to the drink offering in, in Philippians chapter two, verse 17. 
He says, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. See, Paul was given one, he was given over to uh, suffering and persecution. And, in, and, and as his life was being in service to God, his life was being uh, made a sacrifice. And he says to the Philippians, I'm being poured out, my life is being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And it is why even at the end of his life, when he knew that his time was up, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, and he says these words, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the truth is, amen, just as Christ was the burnt sacrifice, as Christ was the grain offering, as Christ was the drink offering, even so, we ourselves, amen, are to live a life that is considered to be a drink offering as well because we live a sacrificial life. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who, who, who lived and died and gave himself for me. And so you begin to see just this picture that, and I've just touched on some other aspects there to make a further application, but just to highlight it. But when you're now bringing this back to Christ. So going back to Leviticus and going back to chapter four, you have in the scripture what is referred to as the sin offering. And in the book of Leviticus, the sin offering again has to deal with Christ, obviously. But let's look some some of the details that are associated with it, because the Bible says uh, that the person who was to uh, um, to give a sin offering was one who had unintentionally sinned. One who had unintentionally sinned. Now, isn't that interesting? Because remember, Jesus's words on the cross, his uh, first words, what were they? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, we're dealing with the sin of ignorance. That's why if one has sinned unintentionally. But uh, if we reject the gospel and we reject the truth, uh, as uh, Hebrews 6 talks about, then uh, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Because it's one thing to be ignorant, and having, uh, uh, but it's one thing to crucify again afresh the Son of God. This is, what's, this is the thought that lies behind, be, behind that. And there's other aspects associated with it as well. But the issue is the sin offering. Now, the sin offering that was presented in Leviticus chapter 4, it too was killed. Its, its blood as well was sprinkled upon the altar. And the, the whole bull was to be burnt. But I want you to take note of what this happens to the sin offering. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 12. It says, as for the offering of the first, um, wait, uh, chapter, sorry, chapter four, verse 12. Let me, I'm chapter, chapter two there. Um, now it says, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on a wood or on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out on it shall be burned. Now notice here, the ashes. So the whole bull shall be carried outside the camp where the ashes are poured out from the, the burned offering that has just taken place or the sin offering, I should say. 
And so what does the Bible tell us about Christ? Well, let's, let's read it because it tells us explicitly in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. Listen to what the Bible says. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate or outside the camp. So isn't that amazing? So here's Jesus. He's in, here he is in, on Calvary. He's outside the gates in the city of Jerusalem. He's outside the camp. He's on uh, a Calvary here where he's being crucified. And he is the sin offering. And again, it is an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is an offering that is a sweet aroma to the Lord. You must remember that because all of these offerings and all of these reiterations of um, the burnt sacrifice and, um, the, uh, and the fire being consumed in the fire and a sweet smelling aroma, they are all associated with the words Jesus said in our text. I thirst, I thirst. Remember, these words are spoken by Christ and represent the consequences of God's wrath or his father's wrath being wrought in him. He is the burnt offering. He is the sin offering. He is the grain offering. He is the drink offering. And in every offering was consumed by fire. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. You see, this is so important for us to understand and to capture. And every offering that, uh, 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 that was uh, instituted by God, it is interesting because I want you to turn to Numbers again, chapter 28. Numbers chapter 28. And I want to read to you verse number 2. Numbers 28 verse 2. Of verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel. And say to them, my offering, my food, uh, um, for my offerings made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed times. Now, what God is saying, these are my offerings. This is my food. That's why it's a sweet smelling aroma to God. This is my offering, it's my food, and it is symbolic of God's pleasure and acceptable and receiving that sacrifice. And all of these things point to Christ. And when Christ said, I thirst, he was, uh, he was identifying here with the uh, having been uh, offered as a burnt sacrifice, as a sin offering, all of the offerings, and he was consumed by the fire of God. In, uh, and, and the Bible says, as he was burnt on that altar, the cross, he said, I thirst. See, can you picture now and begin to see what, is God, what has gone on prior in, a, in that three hours of darkness and why Jesus now says, I thirst. The consequence, and this is God says, this is my food. This is my offering. This is my sacrifice. 
It's God appeasing himself, uh, amen, and rather than pouring his wrath out on humanity and, and us bearing the guilt and the due punishment of our sin, he put it on Christ and he made him a propitiation for our sins. Hallelujah. And he, amen, bore it all on Calvary. And God says, that's my food. That's my offering. And it's a sweet smelling. I consumed it because I'm a consuming fire. And that is a sweet smelling aroma to me. And not only is it to him, it's also to us, isn't it church? When we consider these things, we look at it and as horrific as it is, as brutal as it is, it is a sweet smelling aroma. Thank God for this offering. It is his food. It is his offering and it is for us. Praise the Lord. Let me illustrate this further again. Remember I said to you at the beginning that it related to the very aspect in the book of Genesis. When, when Adam and Eve had sinned and God put them out of the garden, the Bible says he put a flaming sword. And that flaming sword was, was there at the entrance of the gate. It guarded the tree of life. And if anyone wanted to go to the tree of life, what would have happened to them? that flaming sword would have reduced them to ashes, literally, because they would have been uh, uh, struck by the sword and consumed by the fire, the flaming sword. It would have killed them and reduced them to ashes. But you see this morning, what we see here is that when Jesus says, I first, and then he'll later say the words, I, it is finished, he has saying this, that the flaming sword that was set in the book of Genesis at the garden of Eden, it has done its work. And that, that flaming sword was, was it consumed Christ as that sacrifice. And literally what we have, we're looking physically at a cross. We're looking physically at his sufferings. We're looking physically at his wounds. We're looking physically at all of these things. But behind the scenes, what we are observing is the knife is coming down on Christ. The fire is uh, the consuming fire is being poured out on Christ. And he has become and been reduced in effect to ashes. And he is the drink offering that creates the sweet aroma to the Lord when he says, I thirst. What a glorious picture we begin to see in the scriptures. All this was hidden from man's view. Men didn't see the spiritual components and the spiritual backdrop. They only saw the physical. But when we see the scriptures and we look at the, the offerings and we look at Genesis and we consider these things, we get a understanding, we get an overview, we get a picture of what is actually going on and how glorious it is. Jesus is all of those offerings this morning. And God says, that's my food. That's my offering. It satisfies me. Hallelujah. And what a glorious picture it is of redemption church. And it's no coincidence that Jesus's next words are, it is finished, but I don't want to go there just yet. We'll go there next time, but I want to draw one last thought with you and that relates to our text now if you go back to our text you'll remember in verse 29 uh, of the gospel of john and it says in chapter 19 jesus says in verse 28 i thirst 
In verse 29, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled it on a sponge with sour wine and they put it on hyssop and they put it to his mouth. Now note the words on how this, this, uh, the, uh, this uh, wine, sour wine was given to him. It was put on hyssop. Now this is interesting because I want you to think for a moment uh, about what is hyssop? Because again, we're drawing upon some deep uh, spiritual realities when we talk about hyssop. I mean, here's Jesus on a cross, the Romans, and they're grabbing hyssop and they're dipping it in the vine, uh, in the wine and the and the sponge, and then then they're presenting it to him on a hyssop branch. And so again, they have no idea what they're doing, but God, in His foreknowledge, He knows exactly what He's doing. And hyssop is not a coincidence. This is foreordained. This is down to the detail of God's redemptive plan and all that is all the types and shadows that are there in the Old Testament, all pointing to Christ. And so hyssop was not just some coincidence, but rather it was deliberately ordained by God for that moment because hyssop is significant in the Old Testament. Obviously, wine is representative of the wrath of God. And so here is Jesus. He's take, they dip the hyssop and the sponge that's on it. They dip it in the wine and they give it to Jesus and he drinks it. He is drinking the cup of God's wrath as, as that symbolizes yet again. But also what does the hyssop represent? Because Christ is the redeemer. He is the burnt offering. He is the sacrifice and his blood was shed on Calvary. And so what you have now is that, offering and that sacrifice touches that hyssop branch and what does hyssop represent in the bible and this is what i want you to just conclude uh, uh and realize and see this morning as we come to a conclusion hyssop was an applicator it was used to apply and uh, and make an application and in this instance, it was used to apply the blood of the sacrifice. So when the sacrifice was made and the offering was made and the blood was, was shed, a hyssop, the, the hyssop was applied to the blood and then uh, through the hyssop branch that was applied to the sinner. I'll give you an example, a couple of examples in scripture. But the most obvious one is Passover. Remember Moses being in divine, divinely instructed by God, and he, and uh, and so they were to sacrifice that lamb before the day uh, that the angel of death would come. God said, "You must slaughter a lamb." And when he sees the blood of the lamb on those lentils, those doorposts, the angel of death will pass over. And so, when you, but the question is, uh, how was the blood applied to those lentils? It was applied through a hyssop branch. So the hyssop branch in scripture was dipped in the blood and then the blood of the lamb through the hyssop branch was applied to the lentil. And so too, we have the same picture here with Christ. And so hyssop was a means by which the, sac the blood of the sacrifice was transferred to the sinner. Um, this is, uh, we see this again. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 14, where it talks about the leper and it talks about the cleansing of the leper. Now, we know in scripture that leprosy is, is symbolic of sin. 
And so in, when the, the, the leper was cleansed, the Bible talks about Moses ha having to dip a hyssop branch into the blood and sprinkle it on the leper to pronounce him clean. And so too, amen, we are cleansed uh, from our sin by the blood of Jesus. And the hyssop branch there that we're, we're observing in verse 29 is symbolic of all of these things. Think about another aspect in Numbers chapter 19, when uh, uh, hyssop uh, was used for the cleansing of someone who had touched a dead body. And so, uh, the, and so what does the Bible teach us? That we are dead in trespasses and sins, but we are made alive in Christ. How? Why? The blood of Jesus Christ has been applied. The blood of Jesus Christ, amen, has been transferred to us. And now we are cleansed. You see, this is what the Bible teaches us. Let me illustrate it further. Remember David when he sinned in, in, in his adultery with Bathsheba and having had Uriah killed. And so here it was. He was confronted with his sin. He was now contrite. He was broken before the Lord. And in Psalm 51, verse 7, he says these words. He says to God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You see, David is mindful of hyssop and its use. And he says, purge me for, with hyssop. And so the blood that was applied to the hyssop and the hyssop would apply the blood to the sinner. That's why he says, purge me with hyssop and I will be declared clean. And, uh, and he says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And what are we, what, I mean, is it not clear to us this morning? Have we not been washed in the blood? We sing it. I'm washed in the blood of the lamb. I am clean. Amen. What does the Bible say? I, my, though our sins were as scarlet, now they are, we are white as snow because the blood has, through the hyssop branch, has been applied and transferred to the sinner and we are declared clean and we are declared uh, um, uh, uh, righteous before God. Remember the scripture, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him what a gospel church how glorious it is this morning and so when you look at the words i thirst i pray this morning that you've seen something more that's associated i know i did and i uh, and i and as i've meditated and studied it and so you begin to see that jesus is the burnt offering the grain offering the sin offering the drink offering he is a sweet smelling aroma and he was offered by fire and he was uh, totally acceptable to God. And the knife and the, and the fire had completed its work. And so therefore Jesus said, I thirst. And now we, amen, through the hyssop branch, so to speak, not, phys not physically, but spiritually speaking, we have been washed in the blood. We have been cleansed. And so that is how it is. And I so look forward to sharing with you next time the words that he says in verse 30, it is finished. And I'm excited about it because what a glorious statement it is. But we'll unpack that next time we come together. God bless you this morning. That is all I have to share with you. And may the Lord bless you. Amen.